The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are in the stretch of one of our busiest uh, hockey viewing um, times since we've known each other. Uh, last Monday, we saw the Beanpot game. Um, last night, we went out for our first ECHL game. And then Monday night, we're back at it uh, for the Beanpot comp uh, and finals games. Um. We haven't done that short of a stretch before, you're right, but we've done Beanpot Monday to Monday, we've done NCAAs, but yeah, in that short of a stretch, we haven't had that many hockey games. And we threw in watching the Bruins game uh, before the the, uh, Gladiators and uh, Railers last night. Yeah, it was uh, some interesting moments in that game as well. Uh, I'm sure Jeremy Lozon would not agree. I believe he's having his meeting today. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a first offense. I, it was clearly a penalty. I don't know if it's suspendable. I watched uh, it on the replay again last night, and I'm still having difficulty with the match part of it. Yes, it was... Up high, he did lead with the arm. I didn't think he made contact with the head. It it looked more like principal contact with shoulder. Uh, I need to see other angles because obviously they don't show us every angle. But I struggling with. I, I'll be okay with. I'll be okay with major, but match to me was maybe a step too far um i think the match may insulate him from a long suspension you know more than three games i think Um, a match spent match should should okay him from any suspension if he's a first timer i if he's if he's ending up on the phone with uh with uh player safety I, I would say that there, the odds are that he's not going to get out with anything, uh, with nothing. Um, it but might it's only a phone a call fine. right now. I think it's just fine. I don't think he's going to lose any games. You're more optimistic than I am. First I, I time. Think I think he'll get either one game or a fine. A, a fine, a, a fine. Yes, I can see that. But first time, got it. Got the match. Got the match. Uh, penalty during the game as opposed to some of the obscene calls that have been completely missed or have been two-minute ones when they should have been more serious this season. I think my issue is, is again, with uh, with Water officiating line. and the lack of consistency. There are times where a hit, a hit like that and in past games has led to two minutes or nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and this may or may not be connected given that Brandon Carlo is reportedly, uh, back in the building, uh, with the Bruins this morning, but, uh, Urho Vakaninen, uh, was scratched late, uh, for Providence, uh, and appears to be on his way to Detroit, uh, to join the Bruins. 
they didn't say what the Brandon Carlo issue was. It was for personal reasons, so it's he's not hurt as far as we can tell. Um, no, uh, I don't. I'm not even going to speculate at this point. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. It, 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 the report was that he he was given permission. Uh, asked about it for left for personal reasons. There doesn't sound like there's any injury or anything going on there. Uh, I don't want to speculate. So if he's not playing today, he's not playing today. They got Urho on the way on, on the plane. So no, no, no. He, uh, Brandon Carlo was back for today. He missed yesterday's game. Um, oh, so are they sitting John Moore again? Hopefully. <laughs> Because if he's coming back and Lozon's just hopefully, I no, I just no. And Erho's being called up. Somebody's yes. got to sit. That's too many defensemen. The math that would support your conclusion. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I don't know. I just I I think I think a fine will suffice in this case. He already got the match. Um, I think that if Stepan, and I don't want to say that he wasn't hurt because it looked like it hurt, but he did return during the game. I think if there was an issue where Stepan didn't return, then he might have been facing something a little bit more uh, punitive, such as a, a one-game suspension. But player returns, first time... Match suspension, match penalty given. I think he's looking at a fine, and that's the end of it for me. That's fair. Um, as far as uh, actually, player safety has been busy uh, recently. Um, <laughs> one of the other things that they uh, did, we'll, whether we'll call it an accomplishment or not, is uh, up to each of our listeners. But Victor Arvidsson was fined two thousand dollars for embellishment. Uh, on the Marchand cross-check a couple of uh, games back. Which, you know, I having, missed that seen report. That one, having seen that game, um, not surprised. Um, and kind of glad, honestly, because it doesn't need to turn... Uh, the NHL absolutely cannot afford to turn into European turf diving. Uh, and on that note, I would agree as somebody who actually watches what you refer to as turf diving, otherwise known as the real football or soccer in this country. Uh, yeah, the one thing that really turns me off when I'm watching a game are the players that even though nobody's touched them or, or basically just knocked the ball away from them, they're on the ground rolling around and in, in screaming in agony, and it's completely ridiculous. I think the NHL doesn't call embellishment enough. There are way more incidents where somebody gets their stick knocked out of their hand, and you would have thought they were shot from the balcony. It's ridiculous in some cases, and I don't think officiating does enough to put a stop to it. I think if you if you call embellishment more often than not, the players will change their attitudes and stop. And honestly, I would make it a suspendable behavior. You get called for embellishment three times in uh, any two-season period. Two games. Bye-bye. 
Yeah, they, it, it does need to start. Automatic. Yeah. Like, literally automatic. Take it out of the official's hands. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. I just think that it, there's way too much of it. it it's... Uh, and, and I also don't want to see hockey turning into basketball where... Uh, in some ways it is, but it's not nearly as grossly obvious as it is in basketball where the superstars never get calls. Every time somebody touches them, the call is made against the other player. I don't want to go in that direction either. I, it just There needs to be consistency. The players need to be treated equally. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I understand that to a point. And the NBA still. has gone so far from its basically its roots as a street game where no blood, no foul was literally in the rules um, to. And about literally, but figuratively and fairly close to accurate. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> we're talking. Yeah, we're, the 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 uh, the it's become uh, team badminton in the past decade. Yeah, go back and watch games. Go back and watch L.A. versus – and I know we're not a basketball thing, but go back and watch L.A. versus uh, Boston basketball games back when Bird and Magic and, and them were playing and see how physical they were. Nowadays, everything that they did would have been flagrant twos and they would have been thrown out of the – they would oh, have been thrown out of games. And, Bird would never have made it past the <laughs> – Bird wouldn't make it past – that's the first quarter in any game the way it's officiated these days, and neither would neither would Johnson or Bird and or uh, or even Jordan who played later. Um, he wasn't that much later. Jordan still went up against Bird and Johnson. Yeah, they, they were close. Careers. But still, yeah, it, it, back then it was still officiated differently. And I just want to see the NHL play this crap of. Somebody knocks a stick out of your hand and there's a slashing call coming and you know it's coming, but it's ridiculous. You should as a hockey player, you are required to hold on to your stick. It's the tool. It's <laughs> literally the uh, one of the three most important tools for doing your job. The other two being your skates. Um, so, yeah, hold on to the to the silly thing. You are required to hold on to it, and you are responsible for it. So if you're swinging it around wildly and you high-stick somebody, you get a penalty because you're required for controlling your stick. Now, if someone slashes your stick and your stick breaks, that's different. I'm okay with the penalty. But knocking the stick out of your hand, no. Unless they actually brought their own stick across down across your hands, again, no. No. Just no. Uh, no. There's just no. Well, there's... The thing is, there's just not enough consistency. There needs to be more. But and we spent we spent a bit of time on this. We spent <laughs> and that's one of the things that I found interesting last night uh, watching the uh, Worcester Gladiators, the New York Islanders affiliate, and the Atlanta Gladiators, the Boston Bruins affiliate. Um, <laughs> oh, we're not gonna we're not gonna get into officiating for that game. That was well. Here's uh, the thing. There was only one referee on the ice. Yeah, they're they're operating with three officials, one ref, two linesmen. And one of the one of the things that the two NH uh, the two uh, the two referee system was supposed to bring the N the NHL was better officiating. Um, Wait, and consistency? 
and, and consistency. And here's the thing. Having watched the two in relatively close proximity, because we went from the Bruins game, what, a 60-minute or less uh, time from there to watching the um, the, watching gladiators. The, the Gladiators. Yeah. I'm not sure the calls are any more consistent with two officials versus one. Now, there is a pace difference. Like, for those of you who don't watch as much hockey as I do, um, and I watch a lot of hockey, I was always somewhat skeptical on the difference in pace uh, between, like, the ECHL, the NHL, the AHL, college hockey. Um, But I've seen hockey at all of those levels. I've seen hockey at high school level, at, like, middle school level. Uh, major junior games. And uh, I've got to say, yeah, the the pace actually is easier to discern when you're uh, you're watching it live. Um, There's not really that much difference in passing ability between the ECHL and the NHL, but skating (laughs) ability... Skating ability—that's that's where the it's glaringly different because we had 19, 20 year old players on the ice there who were not as fast as anyone in the NHL. Like we talk about this NHL player or that NHL player being slow, they would be lapping most of these guys without trying. I mean. Matt Grizzlick, he's a little bit faster than NHL average, I'd say. Okay. Is there anyone, was there anyone on the ice who you think could actually keep pace with him doing three laps of the, uh, of the rink? Uh, that would be more stamina than speed though. Either one. If you're going to do, if you're going to compare speed, uh, Straight there lines may have been from one blue line to uh, from one goal line to the other. One, there may have been one or two. Barry Almeida looked like he was quick. I don't know about top line speed, but Barry Almeida looked like he was quick. Place for the Worcester Railers. He uh, he's actually a local product. I think he belongs to the Islanders still. Yeah. Uh, don't remember seeing anybody quite that fast on on the Gladiators. Maybe Aslan. Maybe. Maybe, but I don't think so. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it's definitely the, the speed of the game is definitely discernible. It is easier to follow. You made a good observation last night that for somebody who's just starting out watching the game of hockey, it, it might be easier to start at that level because you can follow the pace of play. Uh, that being said, it gets a little choppy and you've got guys falling over themselves and falling into the goaltender and passes being shot into the, into teammates faces. And <laughs> yes, because saucer passing from 10 feet away with no one in the middle is perfectly sensible. It was a unique experience. I believe I said that last night. It was certainly a unique experience. It was entertaining. And, and the uh, audience, the audience actually looks for, and, and I'm sure I did it as a youngster myself, you know, watching hockey games because back then fighting was more prevalent. But the audience actually calling for fights, it 
it wasn't quite as bad as the movie Slapshot, but uh, at least there were some section. there were some instances that reminded me of said movie. Uh, you mean like the gentleman sitting two rows behind us who had a stuffed uh, official on a noose uh, that he was that he was swinging around? That gentleman? Heck, that would be one of them. And if if I remember correctly, the people behind us uh, were, informed us that he was actually the the booster club president. That's correct. Uh huh. <laughs> yes, and this was a. North of middle-aged gentleman, uh, and he was still a very, very enthusiastic hockey fan. And, oh, and they are enthusiastic. They like their railers. They it uh, wasn't. They, it, now the arena was they they have the top the absolute top level of the arena uh, of the DCU just uh, cordoned off. There yeah, were probably forty five hundred people in the game at, at in attendance last night. Yeah, that was yeah. I'd say somewhere somewhere around four forty five hundred. Yeah, that's probably a good estimate. It was and they were loud. Loud, like I've been to Bruins games against division rivals where it wasn't quite as loud. And that's saying something because we know that arena can get absolutely rowdy. Now, just just to refresh your memory, <clears throat> speaking of loud. And all all arenas do it. They have the they have the the noise the meter, noise meter, and the decibel meter. Well, last night they had a decibel meter or noise meter as well, telling you to get louder, and and it's going into the green. And however, their decibel meter was sponsored by Audiology Associates, which I nearly fell out of my chair laughing at because I'm a terrible person. Uh, <laughs> It's like the dentist that gives lollipops at the end of the appointment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the return the return business, the repeat business. The decibel meter is sponsored by Audiology, Audiology Associates Incorporated of Worcester. Um, I will say that even more than the AHL, um, it appears the ECHL does the, in, uh, the in-rink experience uh, a little more aggressively. Um, well, what did you think of the pink ice? The pink ice was actually kind of impressive. Uh, it looked good. There was a lot of contrast with the puck and the players, uh, uniforms and skates and sticks. Um, it was laid out. Well, it's not necessarily something I'd want to see at everything. Apparently, apparently not a regular thing with them. They were having pink in the rink night and their sp- yep. it was all to sponsor breast cancer. Uh, the Worcester Railers had special uniforms where normally I guess it would be white or a grayish color. It was pink. Um, the, the presentation is done well. The ECHL seems to have a good grasp on their fans and I'm basing this all on one game, but yes. they seem to have a good grasp on their fans, their expectations, and the product that they're putting out there. Because at no time did they try to overdo themselves. Everything that they did seemed to fit into what the experience was expected to be. And it was all local. Like, almost, with oh, the exception absolutely. of, like, Geico, everything was someone, was a company with probably within 10 miles of the arena. Um, they, they had, were sponsors. They had a 
performing arts like dance troupe uh, who came out during the intermissions. Another unique experience dancing on uh, dancing on the ice. They rolled out a couple of really big carpets that were really really thin, and the thought of actually attempting to dance on may makes my joints hurt. Um, they did well. Then they brought out the. They brought out the kids, so sort of a, a. It wasn't a mini one-on-one though. They brought out six kids aside, and they were all yep. like no older than ten. I think it was. They were yep, all junior, ten-year-olds, and those kids could actually skate. <laughs> there were a couple of them. The one spinorama goal, ones the 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 one uh, three sixty goal or or whatever you'd call it. He had the defenseman on him. Nice little move. It was. It was constant yes. engagement. Yes, we were laughing. Yes, uh, we were having a little fun with it. But it was entertaining and enjoyable. And, and when they finally did get their fight, the crowd was so ready for it. Uh, super appreciative. Yes. And Atlanta ended up, just to give you a full recap, Atlanta ended up winning in overtime and the comment made toward the end of the end of regulation, uh, my partner here turned to me and said, "You know what we need? <laughs> Bonus hockey." And with ten seconds left in the game, didn't we get the game tying goal? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It felt inevitable. It really did, uh, just from the way the teams were playing and the way the official was calling certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, it just felt like it was going to happen. Uh, if you watch a lot of hockey, you can feel the pace of games, uh, and you know what's going to happen, uh, on a pretty regular basis. Um, we, uh, last week we took in the Beanpot Semi and in watching Harvard versus Northeastern, uh, in the opening game, it became clear pretty early uh, that Northeastern was simply a better team uh, on the ice that night. Um, better team, more comfortable. Uh, Harvard's, a, Harvard, Harvard's a good team. They just didn't have the they just didn't have the horses. That you know, in the past they've had the Wiley Shermans, they've had Ryan Donato, they've had Adam Fox, Aaron um, Fox. Uh, they just Adam. didn't seem to have the horses. And. The fan difference there was actually kind of yeah, startling. and the support was uh, yeah. Uh, Northeastern filled up their end of the the balcony, and Harvard had the band and like maybe a hundred or so. Uh, yeah, it was. They had the band and everyone who was dating someone on the team. <laughs> Possibly. Um, but. You, we watched that game, and then we watched the BUBC game, and I hate the word deserves because it's there's a great deal of value judgment, um, and I also have come to hate the word entitled because there's uh, it it's tend to become a slur, mm-hmm. a mindless slur. Okay. But BC did not deserve to win the second game. I've been saying that pretty much all week. And it's because they played an entitled game. They went out. They scored two early goals. Yep. 
And then they sat around with their thumbs firmly planted up their backsides. And it was just a lot of fast and loose and the passing wasn't crisp. They were just throwing, throwing pucks into open spaces, but yet players weren't there yet. I mean, the whole thing with Gretzky and you don't pass it to, you don't pass the puck to a player, you pass it to where he's going, da, da, da. And that's fine, but they were overshooting players and, and players weren't receiving passes well. They were unforced turnovers. They really did. They they scored those two early goals and they thought they were going to walk. They, they were playing the only unranked team uh, in the bean pot, and they lost. And that to me is inexcusable. And I'm not so, saying that BU is a terrible team because they're they're really not. They're also I still think that BU is overall a faster team than BC. Again, with that whole straight line speed, uh, I think that I. I believe BC was the smaller, quicker team. BU has a lot of big horses on that team. I mean, uh, yeah, Velasic is 6'6", 199, as you corrected me last night. Um, But there weren't a lot. They had like 13 or 14 kids that are over 6'6", 1 on that that team. Correct. not exactly slow. I don't think they're as fast as BC, but not exactly slow. And as commented by uh, one of the one of the listeners who knows you, it, Albie O'Donnell uh, clearly had a game plan when they got down in that game. He he, he collapsed everything down low. Uh, he may have- to be. They were in they were in BC's faces, and then for the un, the turnovers that were forced were forced well, and BC, BU seemed to take away that momentum that BC carried into the early part of the game, and they really didn't get it back until late in the third when they finally scored a game tying goal to go into overtime themselves. You know, if BU ends up winning. Or has a super competitive game against Northeastern on Monday, their goaltender may actually win uh, MVP of the tournament. And did I not? Uh, yeah, I, I, I noticed this kid. He's a freshman. He's only played, based on the statistics I saw, he's only played in five games, but he's like 3 1 and 1. Uh, that was his sixth game. His name is Ashton Abel and stood on his head uh, when BC went down 2 nothing. Ashton Abel was the one that kept them in the game until they were able to get back into it, got their first goal. BC took a two-goal lead again, the dreaded two-goal lead uh, at 3-1. And three then to it one. was lights out. It yeah. was literally lights out. He stopped everything and never looked like the game was moving too fast for him, didn't fight the puck. Um, and this is a guy who was playing up in the AJHL last year. He, it's not like he was – actually, he was playing in the AJHL earlier I mean, this season. A, he's a 20-year-old freshman. He's an overager. He's not exa- He's not eligible for drafting as far as I know. Uh, he's 6 feet, 160 pounds, so he's not even a big guy. It's not like we're talking about a six foot seven, 220-pounder. This, this guy has to work. 
but he, he could handle the puck. He handled the puck well behind the net. He never strayed so far away that he was out of position. He just he looked solid. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a, he's as good as Caden Primo was for Northeastern last year. Uh, I mean, that remains to be seen. He's a freshman. This is the first time I've ever seen him. But he looked good. He looked solid. Uh, and yeah, if they were if they were to win again on Monday night, and I don't I don't think Albie O'Donnell should be straying away from him as a starter. I think he should bring him back because Northeastern's not going to make the same mistakes that BC did. Uh, that that one's a, is a pretty safe bet. Uh, and based on the other the performance of the other two goalies, Sam Tucker has a 908 save percentage in 19 games. Vinny. Pr- Perpura hasn't. We're not even going to give out the number. Um, there's not really much choice. Uh, I. They're not overly gifted with with a huge amount of uh, offense. Um, their leading scorer is a defenseman, which I never think is a good idea. Um, David Ferrance, uh, who was drafted back in uh, seventeen by the Preds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say he's a second de- generation hockey player, but um, gee, that's all the Predators need is another good defenseman. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to have trouble finding them. They do seem to have trouble finding them. So, uh, <clears throat> but so what's your uh, what's your preview for uh, Bean Pot Monday? My preview, unfortunately for Harvard, I think they can put up a fight, but I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna take a win away from BC. It, but then it, it, the the downside, the, or the opposite side of that coin is that if BC does it again with getting out to an early lead and starts playing fast and loose northeastern i mean harvard could take advantage of it i just again i don't think they have the horses though and i think bc pulls that one out in the final uh, northeastern like i said not going to make the same mistakes that bc did if northeastern gets out to a lead they are going to play strong defense uh they don't have a caden primo in net but pantono pantano excuse me looked reasonably good against Harvard. Uh, I don't think he was overly challenged. But they still have a solid defense on that team, and BU is going to have to work for it. That being said, I think Ashton Abel keeps them in the game, and I actually think BU could pull it out like a 3-2 or a 4-3 win. Honestly, I have to go with Northeastern. Um, I think that they've got... They were they were pushed hard enough in the first game not to be sloppy. Uh, in this one, it was a narrow one point uh, one goal win. Um, That's what happens in overtime, yeah. Uh, so I again I don't see I don't see Northeastern getting sloppy. It's just not in their DNA. Um, as long as they come out and play a reasonable game, they're a better team than BU is. And I would like to say that I'm going that we're going to see the Eagles come out flying on Monday night in the uh, consolation game and try and get up, you know, five nothing in the first period and then just keep pouring it in. 
I don't think it's going to be a huge victory. No, 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 no. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Uh, BC, uh, I think is going to win, but it's not going to be a six-one route. It's going to be like a, a four-two or three-one or something like that. Um, I'm not even actually. I, I, I think I need. I think enough of Harvard um, that I'm not even going to make a prediction. I think that Harvard has a chance to win. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure they do. Like Northeastern, I would put it at eighty percent chance that they walk out with a win. Okay. Uh, I would. I I think that I think that the early game is going to be a coin flip. It really is going to come down to which coach has their finger. Um, uh, has their finger on the button of their and the pulse of their team uh, better, and I'm not <laughs> based on what I've seen this year in the bean pot and what we saw last year in the uh, Eastern uh, <clears throat> in the Eastern NCAA uh, tournament. Um, I'm not I'm not sure that either coach is either coach knows what he's going to get from his team on a given day. Fair enough. Um, let's see. We have more to cover. Um, oh, yeah. There was a trade. Finally. A, a trade in the NHL? No. Yeah. It seems to happen uh, three or four times a year. I mean, we do all this talk of the trade deadline coming up and who's going to move this guy where and, and what, how much is it going to cost and, and did we overpay? And then they don't always come to fruition. So to have a trade, was it a big one? Um, it was an impactful one. I don't know that you can call it big given uh, the salary levels and lack of first round picks. Uh the Los Angeles Kings um, got Trevor Moore, a third-round pick uh, from uh, that that actually originally belonged to Columbus in this year's draft, and a conditional third-round pick in next year's draft, uh, assuming that the Toronto Maple Leafs a make the playoffs, and Jack Campbell, um, and it actually upgrades to a second-round pick if Kyle Clifford resigns with Toronto. Or the Leafs, uh, or if the Leafs make the 2019-2020 uh, playoffs, and Jack Campbell wins six regular season games uh, for the Leafs, <laughs> obviously going the other way, where Jack Campbell and uh, Kyle Clifford with half of his salary. I'm not entirely certain what voodoo uh, Toronto has worked to take on an additional million and a half in salary. Uh, I. I mean, I know a lot of it has to do with injuries uh, to their existing roster, but. Yeah, well, Kyle, uh, wow. Morgan Riley being out injured and Cody Cece. And, and that's another whole thing that I I still don't quite have my brain wrapped around it, but has something to do with if they stay out till the end of the year, they get so much relief. Apparently, the Chicago Blackhawks did it with Patrick Kane because they're at one of the. Uh, one of the headlines I saw was, can Toronto use uh, the Patrick Kane 
uh, effect as a way to save money against the cap or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> looking at the deal the way it is, and yeah, being a little facetious, I guess, because I knew about it. But looking at the deal, yes, Toronto needed goaltending. Uh, Hutchinson, uh, Bruins prospect that he was, is not the answer. Fred Anderson, they are clearly overworking him. Uh, absolutely, and we, we've known that for like two full years. Well, yeah. Jack Campbell, as far as the L.A. goaltending situation is, I actually think that Cal Peterson, who was in the minors at the time, is a better goaltender than Jack Campbell. That being said, Jack Campbell has done a very good job backing up and spelling quick when he's been out hurt as a starter. Wait, Jonathan uh, Quick gets hurt? Uh, periodically. Um let me write this down. Yeah, you probably should. That that that's that that's headline screaming right there. Jonathan Quick gets hurt. Um, Jack Campbell is. I think this is a good pickup for Toronto goaltending wise. Unfortunately, I think Jack Campbell is going to learn what it's like to not have a defense in front of him. <laughs> Because playing in fr- playing behind Drew Doughty and Alec Martinez and back when Jake Muzzin was there, Jake Muzzin and and Derek Forbort, I think LA's defense is actually better than Toronto's. Um, so this is not going to be an ideal situation for him. Have, I think the Atlanta Gladiators have a comparable defense to uh, the. Yeah, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, they did a fair job. They did a fair job last night defensively. <laughs> yes, the four goals were scored, were scored, uh, and I expected high scoring last night. But the, their defense did better than I expected. <laughs> there was effort in the defense, which yes, <laughs> which is a lot of being reasonably useful in defense. Jack Campbell, smart pickup. They need a goaltender that that's gonna take up some of the slack from Anderson. I think overlooked in this, and he doesn't really deserve to be given his experience and his attitude. Is Kyle Clifford? Kyle Clifford. I, look, I, look at look at the roster, particularly among the forwards for this team. Yeah. Um, exclude Kyle Clifford for a moment, and what are you missing? One word. Physicality. Physicality and Kyle attitude. Clifford, Kyle Clifford does have physicality, does have attitude, and he's Unlike going to be a good third, fourth I line player for them. I believe he actually has a cup ring, too. Ooh. Playoff experience, he actually has either one or two. Um, 24 games, didn't they? Yeah, the Kings won in 13-14, I believe. So he was on that team. And the year after the Bruins won. Uh, So the 12-13? 12-13. Yeah. But they didn't go back-to-back because I think Chicago won it the next year. Yeah. He's got 55 games of playoff experience, including including the Cowboys. The cup wins. Mm-hmm. Um, no one else on that team even really 
or no one else has, I don't even think, sniffed a cup. On the Maple Leafs? Well, you've got Muzzin, but... I was going to uh, say Muzzin, but he's... Um, he's a little bit dinged up. And he's alone. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of playoff... Ex- there's not a lot of playoff winning experience on that team. Ding, ding, ding. They have playoff experience, uh, but most of it is losing in the first round to the Bruins. <laughs> yeah. Or the second round. <laughs> Bringing in Kyle Clifford, he's a solid bottom six. Solid bottom six. He's not going to be taking a spot away from Kasperi Kapanen or, or Andreas Janssen or whatever. I mean, he's... They're going to slot him in either on the third, probably on the third line, maybe the fourth line. He's going to bring some physicality to that team. He's going to bring some oomph. But, yeah, more importantly, he's going to bring a playoff presence and, and playoff experience to to that roster. Is he going to bring truculence? Truculence. I like that word. Word of the day. There you go. Let's go with truculence. While we're uh, in the general neighborhood of goaltenders, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. Um, Robin Leonard was interviewed by the NHL, uh, NHL.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Woodley. Um, and it's talking about uh, statistics uh, for goaltenders. I'm not sure it's statistics for goaltenders. There are some in there. I mean, statistics in general, just the, the stats that are kept. And Robin Leonard came out and said that he actually goes, the one that he follows the most is, uh, and I've lost my place. Great. Great um, good job. <laughs> he tracks, he, he likes to track, um, say, it's a, not save percentage, but per season. Um, oh, the um, quality start percentage. Quality that's starts. Something we talked about for five years. Quality starts, and I've used it more and more. I'm slowly adapting because the old stats are good for their own purposes. He likes to – he tracks everything, and – to him, he defines it as any start in which he posts a save percentage above 91 or 910. Um, but they say that this stat was developed by somebody, a senior analyst with the Kings. His name is Rob Volman. Yep. Uh, he developed this statistic previously, uh, and... Rob Volman describes it as a start where goalie stops more than the NHL median save percentage. Yep. Which was last season, 9-10. This year it's 9-08 so far. And gives or gives up less than three goals with an 8-85 save percentage or better in games when they face fewer than 20 shots. So I'm guessing that means Elvis Merzlikin shut out the other night, even though it was only 16 shots on goal. It's still a quality start. Uh, uh, shutout does tend to have a higher than 885 save percentage, yes. And less than three goals. It, it just it, – it, it is random, and 
he's had a save percentage of better than 90 in 77.8% of his starts, which is fourth among goalies in the league this year to have played at least 10 games. Um, Darcy Kemper still, even though he hasn't played since January 19th, actually factors into a bunch of these stats as well and is actually still ranked number one in the league in save percentage. Uh, he's played and he's had enough starts at the beginning of the month. I don't have an argument with this. I guess my thinking along these lines and reading this article was it's about time. Um, for for I, especially for goaltender star, uh, stats to advance. And that's the argument that Leonard was making is that there aren't any clear and defined statistics or really good statistics that you can use to compare goaltenders. I mean, it's easy to compare goals, assists, plus my, yeah, whatever your stat is for forwards and defensemen. But for goalies, it gets a little bit hazy because it, quality of shots on net, you know, how many hit the pipe and, and those don't count as shots. Uh, you know, is there were 10 of the 30 shots taken from the outside on the perimeter as opposed to in the in the high percentage slot area there's no How many real shots way were taken from outside the red line i mean yeah. yeah there's no real good comparison for goalie stats or way to compare goalies using those stats uh the thing for me leonard said the other team is going to have to do something good to beat me and clear line shots i don't want that to be able to beat me but what's a clear i mean clear line shots are easy to see you know, does that make them high percentage, low percentage? It, it, he's brought up a good point, and I don't know that there's a good answer. Uh, I think that these – I think that's the whole point. I don't know that measure, measuring it ever gets easier. Um, and when we're looking at – the goaltenders in the league. Uh, I mean, Robin Leonard has been one of our favorites for a while. Oh yeah. Uh, for good reason. Uh, he's, he's this year on a <clears throat> not very good team. No, he was last year on a, and yet he's still turning in a nine. He's still ninth in the league with a nine twenty three save percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can we can dive deeper into those and some of the other goalie stats next week. Well, he's but, certainly making it more difficult for Chicago as they approach the trade deadline. <laughs> in my opinion, if that decision isn't already made by the front office, the front office is the one that needs to change. <laughs> like, there's yes, only but- so much... That, but you, we know you like Leonard more than Crawford, so as do I. Okay, forget my personal emotions. Mm-hmm. Younger, healthier, better save percentage. Not disagreeing with any of that. I, I think that the decision should be made already as well. But not everybody can be Bill Belichick. Not everybody is capable of taking their emotions completely out of it. And Corey Crawford has been there for at least two if not all three i don't remember if he was back up no. to niami in the first one i uh, know he was not he's but, been there for two stanley cops anyway but look at just look at the numbers this year yeah Leonard has played 30 games mm-hmm. he's 115 
Crawford has played 27, has won 10, and lost 13. Um, goals against average is better. Uh, I lean, to, I strongly lean towards that being a team stat. The you save do. percentage is uh, 923 to 912. Leonard has played more minutes. Um, I I don't know. The I, only I, the only I, argument is that Crawford has a shutout and Leonard does not, which I find staggering, honestly. Yeah. I honestly, I, I firmly believe that Stan Bowman is capable of, of keeping emotions out of it. And I do believe that he, he'll, he will in the end make what I believe to, to be the right decision and hang on to Leonard. They're both free agents at the end of the season. I know that they're, and they're fighting for a playoff spot. So they, they're, their trade deadline has gotten that much more interesting when you're three points out of a playoff spot. Do you go for it or do you call it a day? Uh, it's not as cut. It's not as cut and dry as it is for say LA. If they can trade, if they can trade Crawford and get something, something useful. Yeah. They need to. He's not coming back. If they're, if they're signing, if they're signing uh, Leonard to the contract that he has proven he deserves over the last four or five years, what would Carolina give up for Corey Crawford? I'm not sure. As a goaltender, I'd want to go to Carolina. They seem to be the worst place in the league to land as a goaltender. Everyone who goes there seems to fall apart. But I mean. James Reimer has got a 917 save percentage there, so that's probably not completely falling apart. Um, and for Corey Crawford, yeah. he should probably want to be moved. He knows he's not going to be re-signed, simply because at the end of the year, you're going to have uh, Holt be a free agent, too. And despite a terrible year uh, this year, and a bad year a couple of years ago, he's won a cup and he's won a cup more recently. Um, Crawford's numbers still have him at like 20 place in the league in save percentage. I mean, that's that's not that's not anything anyone's going to hold a parade over. Uh, it's not like he's Elvis Merlikens, um, but he's still he's still doing better than a bunch of goaltenders that you could name. Um This this season, uh, since we're going to use Robin Leonard's number, yeah, um, quality starts. Uh, this year, Corey Crawford has 14 quality starts, which gives him a, a quality start percentage of 5.38. Yep. Um, he has two really bad starts. <laughs> My other favorite hockey stat. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, my thing is, uh, how do you define a, a, a really bad start is defined as starts with a save percentage below 85? Yes, and I think we can all agree that an 820 save percentage is terrible, <laughs> or 740, or whatever. Whereas Robin Leonard this season has... <clears throat> 17 quality starts, which gives him uh, 
0.607, so uh, about 61% of his yeah. starts are quality, uh, whereas 54% or 54% of Crawford starts are quality. So there's a 7% difference, and that and on a not especially good team, right? But Robin Leonard also has four really bad starts. True. So it, the thing is, the really bad start number is just a number. There's no percentage with it. So when you look at it, it's okay. He's got four really bad starts, but like you said, he's also appeared in thirty games with twenty-eight starts. Whereas Corey Crawford has two really bad starts, but has only appeared in twenty-seven games. So there's a three-game difference there. And, and there's the just looking at the win-loss record. Uh, throw the ties out. The team is playing better in front of in front of Leonard. And Leonard is playing better behind the team. I would be inclined to agree. I mean, Robin Leonard just—he's a better goaltender. He's a better goaltender at this point in their careers. Like you said, younger, a little younger, a little more healthy. Uh, Corey Crawford. There's Corey Crawford's bus leaving. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> It was up the street before we knew it was gone. <laughs> uh, but that just leaves room for the Elvers, uh, Merzlikens, uh bandwagon to roll on in because Ugh, Elvis. He Elvis. actually has a chance to win. He has entered the, the building and has and maybe the Vesna. He has entered the building and has no desire to leave it anytime soon. Because at the pace that they're playing him. As well as he's playing, mm-hmm. he's going to get over 41 starts by uh, by the end of the season. He's at 25 now. They've got 26 games left. Um, they're in a playoff spot, which they were not when he started playing. They've got a winning home record. They've got a winning away record. Um, they're 8-1-1 one, and one in their last 10 games. I mean, right now... They're hands down the hottest team in the uh, in the Metropolitan Division, and only Tampa Bay in the uh, in uh, in the Atlantic rivals them in the East, uh, who also has an eight one and one and has like the Boston Bruins won six in a row. Um, that's that's and that that's legitimately the Elvis Merlikan show. He actually does lead the league in in shutouts at five. Um, no one else, uh, I don't think anyone else has more than three. His save percentage is right up there. Um, yeah, he's second in the league in save percentage, uh, or statistically tied with for, for first, but, uh, first has a few more games played. Um, did anyone really, really think that with all the players lost, uh, this off season, the Columbus Blue Jackets were going to be in a playoff position on February 9th. Did anybody think that with the goaltending situation losing, I mean, not just talking about the players they lost, they could have hung on to all those other players. They could have hung on to Panarin losing a two time Vesna winner in Sergei Bobrovsky and going with 
Eunice Corpusalo, who's been a career backup, and a, a, a backup to him that hasn't played at all in the NHL. Did you really think that they were going to be strong in net? Um, I'm I'm going to have to go with no. No, I didn't. Um, I'm, this I'm, is one of the best surprises and best stories in the NHL in a long time. I would, I would even, and, and Eunice actually wasn't having a bad season. I mean, it, it depends on what you consider bad or, or good or whatever. Eunice wasn't exactly having a a terrible season. I mean, he had a two four nine goals against. He had a nine thirteen save percentage. Uh, he had sixty one percent quality starts. Nineteen out of thirty one starts were quality. Mm-hmm. I. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, he was he, he was horrible. I mean, he he was a, a nice surprise in and of himself when he stepped into the number one role. Uh, yeah, Corpusalo was above the league average for save percentage on and the yet, year. And yet he's – if he hasn't, I'd be surprised, but I'm pretty sure he's lost his starting gig right now. <laughs> if yeah. he were to come back, he's coming back to the bench. And the thing is, is that uh, Matty's. Uh, oh, you're gonna Kivlin- you're gonna try and say that name, aren't you? Uh, Mattis Kivlenikis, I believe, Kiv- is Kiv- Kivleniaks. Kivleniaks. Um, even is his two games. Mm-hmm. One and a, a goal, a goals against average of under one and a half, and a nine forty six save percentage. In uh, his two starts um, and three points out of those games because the second uh, one win, one overtime loss. Uh, that's a ridiculously small sample size. But so you're if Columbus is two rookie if, Columbus, if Columbus is legitimately considering beefing up their roster in some way at the trade deadline. And uh, Corpusalo is healthy. They might, they might actually just take a flyer on going with the two youngsters, move him for, move him for something, move Corpusalo, and come back connection. with a piece, and come back with a piece or a pick. Okay, so they're going to go. They're going to go with the Latvian connection then, because both. Elvis and Matisse are we'll both Latvian. The Latvian landslide. <laughs> okay. Um, I. They need. I mean, at this point, they need goal scoring. They don't have a twenty goal scorer yet. And again, it's February 9th. They have three guys at seventeen in Pierre Luc Dubois, Zach Wierenski, uh, and Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, which should worry you because one of those guys is a defenseman um, and yeah. Cam Atkinson's name is nowhere to be seen, neither nor Boone Jenner's um, and <clears throat> Riley Nash's uh, return to his career, his career numbers. Josh Anderson has only made it into 26 games um, and only has four points in that time. Uh, yeah, they they need offense uh, wherever they can find it. Um, 
Cam Atkinson only has has only played in forty four of their fifty six games, and he's at twelve goals. Um, if they can pick up an offensive forward uh, for their backup, their now backup goaltender, uh, that's something that they need to do. Like need to do if they're actually going to endorse the guys on the roster by saying, yeah, we believe that you can actually do something in the playoffs with a little bit of help. Does Mm -hmm. anyone in the world believe that they're going to win the cup this year? No, no. No. Um, All three of their young goaltenders, um, Corpus Allo, all three of them are uh, arbitration eligible this year. So they're going to end up paying at least two of them. Um, yeah. And they have to, they're, I mean, the time clock on Wierenski and Seth Jones next contract is only two more years. So they have to be sensible about what they sign and what they trade for. Care to guess which one of the three is the oldest? Um, is it Merzlikens? Nope. Matisse is the oldest. He's 26. Elvis uh, and Eunice, Elvis and Eunice, uh, Elvis and Eunice are both 25. Uh, you must be looking at different math than I'm looking at. Okay. Cause it says that Matisse was born in 96. Uh, huh. and Corpusalo. Where are you looking at your numbers? Was born in 94. <laughs> No, I miss. I'm transposing numbers. Look at that. Silly boy. Silly boy. I transposed the six from here over there and subtracted eighteen and okay, multiplied by three. You're correct. Okay. Yeah, it's a bad habit. Um, yeah, it's a bad habit. Without having to do serious math, though, all three goaltenders for this team cost less than Yara Halak. Yeah, they're not in a bad situation. No. Um, except for the fact that they desperately need offense. <sighs> trade deadlines a tough way. Trade deadlines a tough time to be chasing uh, that kind of goal scoring offense. I mean, you're looking at trying to get Kovalchuk from Kovalchuk from uh, Montreal would probably be one of the that one of the one options. Of the-, the trouble is that any GM that makes a deal for Kovalchuk at this point is going to look really foolish because you could have had him a few weeks ago for next to nothing. What did you know about him at that point? You know, he was aging, came back to the NHL, didn't do well with a team that desperately needed him to do well. And that it looked like a terrible, terrible thing from the beginning, but you didn't know why. Okay. Um, so now you're just telling me Mark Bergevin's a genius. Uh, I didn't quite say that. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, actually, that's exactly what I said. In uh-huh. fact, I even texted it to you uh, while we were talking. Well, but he's the only point, one that took a flyer. At this point, the Columbus Blue Jackets are 27th in the league in goals for, in okay. goals per game. And that's fine. I'm not saying I'm not saying you don't do the deal. I'm just saying you're going to look a little bit sheepish when you do it because you could have signed him three that's, weeks ago. That's assuming that that's who you're going for. And it's been more than three weeks. 
But um, whenever it was, yeah, month, month and a half. Toronto has to shed salary at this point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe you can pick something up there because they don't have a first round pick this year. Um, I'm not naming names, but you know, there's a couple of guys on that roster that they're going to have to move even out of their big three in order to, we've talked about that in the past. If we're in order about to Toronto. stay cap compliant, um, that's why they have this whole long-term injury thing and whether Morgan Riley's going to stay out for the whole season or not. Dubas is is trying to work the system, that's for sure. Because they don't have a first-round pick this year. Um, their their first-round pick next year is conditional, um, and that depends on whether where they finish. It looks like they'll have it next year. Their okay. second-round pick is... Um, that's one of the Kyle Clifford conditionals. Um, so it's either their third or their second that's gone next year. Um, they're, I mean, but don't worry. They have six picks in this between the sixth and seventh round this year. Ooh. Yeah. That's that, that could come in handy. I mean, they, they will be able to rebuild the entire franchise. Are we concerned with Toronto actually making the playoffs this year? <clears throat> I believe at the moment they're in a playoff spot. Oh, okay. As long as no one sneezes on any of their uh, top four or five forwards, um, <clears throat> they should be, well. Oh, yeah, they're currently in third in the Atlantic, so. But with a team that has that kind of offensive punch, they're only a plus 13, which should tell you something about that team. What does it tell us? Ah, uh, that they can't stop the other team from scoring. <laughs> nah, they they can win every yeah, I don't game know. the I don't rest know what of the year, thinking. twelve to seven. Twelve to seven. Right. Glad 12 you agree. Twelve to seven. Sure. Twelve to seven. Of course, they're not going to be able to survive on that in the playoffs now, are they? What do you mean? There's no difference between the playoffs and the regular season in the NHL. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. It's just fewer teams playing. I don't know what I was thinking. Neither does anyone else. Especially since I couldn't do math on birthday, so. Uh, yeah. I As far as Elvis goes, to just to bring this back around to Elvis and tie a nice little bow in it, I've been saying all season that it – Calder uh, is the Calder is mostly Kale McCars. Uh, if Elvis were to play enough games to qualify and maintain his current numbers or stay close to them, mm-hmm. I think you've got to at least give him consideration. Uh, I mean, Kale McCarr is running away with it. Olafson's been out hurt. Um, I forget who the other defenseman is. That's, there's Dominic Kubalik, who won Rookie of the Month for January. But I don't know that he's consistent enough. Kale McCarr is actually tied with Quinn Hughes in points. And Quinn Hughes is the other one, yeah. I mean, uh, to have two defensemen 
leading the race for the Calder Trophy is unheard of. I like, believe I, so. It's literally unheard of. And Max uh, and Adam Fox is seventh in scoring uh, among rookies right now. Uh, this is pretty unprecedented. I legitimately don't remember a time in my life where this where anything close to this has happened. No, there's usually one runaway standout. Uh, and then there's the rest of the field that's trying to catch up or keep up. You know, I think that if people are being objective, given that these are two Western Conference teams with Hughes and Makar, and both of them are going to make the playoffs, <laughs> they could split the vote enough for Merz Leakins uh, to actually pick it, uh, to, actually get, to actually get the Calder. Um... And that would be mm, that would be interesting to try and steal, try and almost steal the Calder Trophy away from the other two. Because, yeah, right now, like you said, Quinn Hughes is there. I think Kale McCarr is the more recognizable player for whatever reason, whether whether you believe Colorado is a more recognizable team than Vancouver or just a better team than Vancouver, which except Vancouver's winning their division at the moment. Right. Uh, but still, if you were to go out and now, if you're asking me which team I think is, has a better shot head to head in the playoffs, I, I do lean towards Colorado. Um, I'm not sold on Vancouver's goaltending yet. I like Thatcher Demko. I think I think yeah, Jacob Markstrom is a solid goaltender. Yep. He's consistent if you look at his numbers over the years. Oh yeah, but just the goal differential between the two is kind of staggering. Yeah. Uh, Colorado is at a plus forty-two. Vancouver is at a respectable plus eight. In fact, I think Colorado. Yeah, Colorado has the best number in the West by lapping the field uh, numbers. Uh, I we've talked off and on about the West being aggressively soft this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, no other team is a even a plus twenty in the West, and only the six playoff teams uh, or the the three division leaders and the Arizona Coyotes are are uh, have a positive goal differential. It was it, it, it's just it's funny to look at and, and think that back in last year's draft. And yes, it, there's no guarantee on hitting on any draft pick. But all the talk last year was Huser Kako, Huser Kako, Huser Kako. Yeah, yeah. Jack Hughes, Quinn's brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not even they're 11th and 12th. 11th and 12th. Jack Hughes has 19 points. His brother Quinn has 41. Yep. Capo Caco, 18 points. And oh, by the way, I know they play on bad teams, and I know that you don't like the plus minus, but uh, Jack Hughes minus 17, Capo Caco minus 20. Uh, 
there's the, nobody. The Rangers there's, are winning the cup. You didn't. You didn't get the memo. There's nobody. There's nobody else in the top fifteen that's even close to that. Number fifteen, Sam Steele is a minus nine. Yeah, I, I just don't even. It's it it's, yeah. and I didn't even realize Nick Suzuki had as many. It, it was up and forth. This is. This is legitimately a three-man race at this point between, in my less than humble opinion, Merzlikens, uh, Hughes, and and Makar. And is that literally no one has got to that do it. Start the year. He's got to qualify. That's the only thing. I, he does I think not, that I, leading. I think that leading the league in save percentage as a rookie and in shutouts. I get that, but I don't know that he's played enough games. To qualify. By, by the end of the season, when the voting is due, he'll have played enough games. He'll be over the 40 mark. Okay. Um, we have a mailbag question. Ooh. Michael Joshua Marsh and via uh, Facebook writes us, Hey, talking about trade targets for the Bruins, an outside-the-box thought is Tyler Ennis. Do you think he has enough left in the tank to be a top-six rental? I remember how good he looked back <laughs> when he played for Buffalo. Um, and he is on pace for 20 goals in Ottawa. Thoughts? Uh, Top six? No. No. If the Bruins, if the Bruins actually needed like a third line uh, player, center winger, don't care. I would be all over it because I love Tyler Ennis. He is legitimately one of the best little guys the league's seen in the past 25 years. He's played on some truly terrible teams. Little. He's been a consistent. He's been a consistent contributor everywhere he's go gone every to every season he's played. Um, he, he's. You might be thinking of the other Tyler, the defenseman. Tyler Meyer. No, that's what I'm saying. Tyler Meyer, as I know, is like six five. Tyler Ennis is like five six. Yes. He's Little. Smaller than Marsh and or Krug. Little. Yeah. Does play all three, does play all three positions, uh, uh, according to Cap Friendly. Yep. What I like most about this is the cap hit. Yeah, as far as like, as I said, I would be all over this if we needed a third line uh, player. But if you're, if we're going to be honest, looking at the Boston Bruins as they're configured right now, and probably last year, and probably the year before, and probably the year before that, dating all the way back to I don't know the Chiapet era, time immemorial, um, <laughs> the Boston Bruins have a great, possibly the best first line in hockey. They have a I top don't like five what they call it though. in hockey. Um, and then they have two third lines. I don't like that nickname for the top line. I ref- I don't even use it. It's the 200-foot line, the Bergeron line, uh, the first line. Who came up with that moniker? I don't know, but... Uh, Doc? They sh- I don't know, but they should be forced to officiate ECHL games for five years for ever spitting <laughs> it out of their mouths. I don't know that I don't know that ECHL officials want to officiate ECHL games. <sighs> I'm sorry, not that I want to go back to it, but that last hit that led to the game goal in overtime. Uh, 
There were at least five questionable Quest- hits that did questionable not get and uh, Questionable was the best I could give it. <laughs> uh, uh, more like should have been a penalty. <laughs> we'll call it at least three completely blown calls. Okay. <clears throat> but back to Tyler Ennis. I, I, I like the money. I like the player. I just don't know. Yeah. He, and he's a they, UFA this season, uh, this this spring. Yeah, but um, you're not worried about losing him with that little dollar amount. I mean, if he was a $7 no. million dollar guy, I'd be, you know, and he cost us three and a half, you know, in, in cap hit. I'd be like, I'd be a little bit more worrisome. The fact that he's 800, you know, his cap hit is $800,000 for the whole season, and we'd be getting him at the deadline for a prorated amount. It, it's not going to hurt us to lose him at the end of the year. My issue is that, like you said, he's not what we're looking for. We don't need bottom three or bottom six players. We need somebody who's going to fit on the second line. And, and and have an impact. Not that Tyler Ennis wouldn't, but and I don't know I don't know that Tyler Ennis is is a kind of guy who fits on a third or fourth line. I don't think he's a physical guy. Um he's played uh, he's played reasonably physically, but there's okay. there's the there's the rub. He's he's tidy. I mean yes. he can throw all the hits he wants, but if they're not doing anything um, I mean, I was going to say something about his inability to play 82 games in a season, but we don't need him for 82 games if we were to acquire him. Um, some of that is, quite frankly, there were better players a couple of those years. Some of mm-hmm. it is, I think, coaches with their heads in their backsides. Yeah, but yeah, he has had a couple of injuries, partly because he's uh not going to overshadow many NHL players uh, with his stature no um but it, you, i mean even if you look at his uh numbers this season in Ottawa uh in comparison uh he's right behind Brady Kachuk in total points yeah uh Anthony Duclair is tied for first uh, a guy Anthony. that the mayor may not have mentioned on this show ever now you're I, talking I my know. language let's get Anthony on the team a bigger need for a right wing, um, so Connor Brown is arguably a better choice. Uh, although I kind of don't see uh, the Senators trading us anyone under the age of twenty-five, uh, anyone under the age of twenty-seven, anytime soon. I also don't see them trading any of those players in. Maybe Ennis, but I don't see them trading any of those players in 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 division. No, it would somehow have to be a three-way trade or more. Mm-hmm. And then I think Ottawa would still be annoyed if they weren't in on it from the beginning. I know we've talked about it before, but it's kind of scary when you look at their roster and they have only like five people signed beyond this season. Oh, yeah. Their GM <sighs> is going to have a lot of work to do over the next <laughs> couple of years. Um, uh, speaking yeah. of GMs, uh, we still don't know who the full-time – uh, GM for the Devils is, and that's kind of important at the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, Tom Fitzgerald is the interim. He's got that lovely interim title slapped on him. Yay. He is. 
he is still he is getting help from from um I don't know I don't know if I'd call it. he's one of the best or if not the best goaltender I've ever seen. I don't know how good that makes him in the front office, but Martin Brodeur is there helping him out. Uh, the question is, you know, how how much as interim, and I'm doing the air quotes thing, as interim GM, how much leeway does he have or does he have to stop and meet with president, owner, whoever, before any big decisions are made as far as deals uh, to be struck. Well, I mean, was he just given a structure when he was given the when he was set, when he was made the interim? You know, if it's a player over this amount of dollars or this many years, come talk to me. Um, if it's a player under this, uh, not doesn't involve mo- losing a first round pick. Okay, go for it. Um, that would be the sensible thing to do um, because if you can't trust someone that much they shouldn't be working for you at all as far as not having a, a gm or or hiring one or i think at this point a it's too late and b i don't think it helps i mean the gm pool that's out there uh, unless you're looking at people that nobody knows and i'm sure that there aren't many of those but uh, like I, I saw Ron Hextall's name, you know, if you're looking for potential GMs. But to bring one in now and have them up to speed for what's going on between now and the deadline, uh, unfair to the GM that you've hired. I think that at this point now, they may as well wait until the offseason. So they're essentially in the same position as Billy Guerin was put in, being hired in August. In fact, this is yeah. probably a worse position because you've got everything in motion already. Right. And the shark's circling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there may be people coming to call looking for players like Blake Coleman or Sammy Vatnin or... Recent first overall picks, yeah. Yeah. So it, there's just yeah you can't do that to a, any any general manager even Ray Shero. Uh I just don't think it's fair to throw them in the deep end that close to the trade deadline and say yeah sort it out. So for right now it's fits it it's Fitzy's show it's just a matter of how much freedom he has and that sure. is that remains to be seen. Uh, you wanted to hit on the Battle of Alberta real quick. The Battle of Alberta? Uh, was this an old story that I just don't remember one of them? The Battle of Alberta, Edmonton and Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, I don't even – this is an old and I don't even have notes from it anymore. Okay, we'll skip that it's, one. It's enjoy. It was enjoyable. I know that. Oh, I remember what it was. Apparently, those of us that actually believe that that um, Matthew Kachuk uh, didn't break the rules. There was a nice little uh, disagreement, shall we say, on Twitter between myself and many, many other Twitterers. 
Um, and I was called many uh, a lovely, lovely name. Uh, uh, stupid, probably being the the nicest one, uh, because if you watch the video back, and, and this goes back to when Zach Cassian decided to uh, completely sucker punch and get the drop on on Matthew Kachuk. Um, oh, Cassian's little meltdown. Yes. Well, it was Zach Cassian who was <clears throat> fined and suspended, and Matthew Kachuk received nothing. Nothing. Uh, and clearly, if you watch Matthew, because he'd been in some fight, he's been in a fight or two since. Yep. Uh, the man does know how to fight, can hold his own in a fight, and had he's Zach Cassian not so. completely blindsided him. And then dragged him on the ice, and then picked him up, and then dragged him on the ice again. And, uh, I think that the whole thing with him, with Matthew Kachuk turtling and being afraid of Zach, uh, no. People need better drugs if that's actually what they believe. Thank you. That's what the Battle of Alberta was all about, because it got real, and Zach Cassian found out just how real. Uh, I believe it was a two-game suspension, whatever yep. the fine was, and... And and Matthew was uh, not given anything. Yeah. Except for whatever he got in game. And a couple of bruises. Yeah. So that's why I was. That's why I wanted to talk about it. It just made more sense close to the time it happened. Okay, and I believe uh, one of our uh, favorite segments is returning. Uh Oh, we're going to go to the final segment. All right. So I always enjoyed Ad One. Uh, and we haven't done it in forever, so please refresh the uh, minds of the listeners and inform the new ones. Ad One, I'm going to give you an NHL team. Yep. And then I'm going to give you the choice of one of two players to add to that team. And there may be a twist at the end, so stay go. tuned. All right, first team, local, right here in New England. The Boston Bruins yep. have need of a right wing, as we all know. Okay. Now, this one this one is thanks to Jimmy Murphy. Uh, while I was scouting around, he made some interesting suggestions. Uh, I'm not going to say interesting, good or bad. However, raises the question that if one of their first choices isn't available or they don't get the player they want – and this is where you come in. You now have that same choice. You can either choose from <clears throat> Wayne Simmons or Craig Smith. That That's a curious choice. I mean, Wayne Simmons is someone I've always liked. Wayne Simmons doesn't actually weigh as much as I thought he did. No, he's a small guy. I keep telling people this. He's not uh, he's tall, but he's wiry. No, he's only 6'1". He's 6'1", 185. For for that weight, he's I mean he's essentially what five six pounds heavier than Krejci. Um, yeah. He's not a big guy. But yet he his stature when he plays or when he used to I don't know if he still does but when he gets into the crease and in front of the net blocking that screening the goaltender it's hard to move him out of there. Oh yeah, he plays like his, he owns his, the ice. His positioning and his ability to. His positioning and his ability to stay on his skates is is second to none. 
Uh, however, his goal-scoring prowess has dipped a little. Yeah, and that's what makes this one hard. Um, I wonder, I deeply wonder how much of his goal-scoring issues are the fact that he's on a team that's, um, what's mm-hmm. that fantastic word to describe them? Garbage. Um, and how would much his, is, would he play on the top power play unit in Boston? Uh, he doesn't need to play on the top power play unit. He just needs to be able to play well on Krejci or Bergeron. I was going to say, does he improve the second power play unit then? Yes. And Craig Smith, especially by giving them a, especially by giving them a different look because Bergeron in the bumper in like the middle slot versus him camped out on the crease uh, and tipping pucks. <laughs> It's a different look. Um, I like it. I like it. I like it. Craig um, Smith is 30 years old. He's a year younger. Plays in Nashville. Has slightly many goals. Slightly more. He has a few more goals. 22 points total. Whereas I believe Wayne Simmons was at 19 or 21. So they're they're close offensively. Craig Smith has a few more goals. Uh if I'm looking purely at the numbers this year, I would uh, for this season, this season, because the guys are about the same age. Uh, Simmons is a little bit older. Yeah, 31. Um, but not 30. much. Um, about a year. Um, I would have to go with Craig Smith based on this year's performance. We both know that I have really liked Wayne Simmons basically his entire career. Um, and while I would almost always prefer the bigger player who's willing to stick himself in front of the net. I'm not sure that Craig Smith actually fits the mold on that last part. He is bigger. He's listed at two and change two Oh eight. Um, but I don't remember seeing him parking himself in front of the crease and saying, I dare you move me because I'm going to score as soon as the puck gets near me. Um, so Wayne Simmons, it is. Okay. I'm perfectly okay with that one. In fact, I probably would have gone with Wayne Simmons myself. Uh, I don't know. Just, I think that for some reason, I would think that he fit better with the squad. I I like Craig Smith. He's been reliable in, in, in Nashville, but for whatever reason, maybe it's just my, I like wanting him on the wanting him on the squad a couple three years ago, and you know, so I think that yeah, Wayne Simmons. I don't think there's that much to choose between the two of them today. Okay, (laughs) but Wayne Simmons, it is, and that's perfectly fine. Okay, so we all know we're going to move a little bit north here, staying in the east. Um, We all know that Toronto. Uh, has need of defense. That yep. being said, your choices are <clears throat> Kyle Turris or Barclay Goudreau. <laughs> so you really are deep in the head of Kyle Dubas, Kyle Dubas today. Um, because, so that was, he's, because he's not going after defensemen. He's going to go after some kind of a forward. Player? Kyle, uh, Kyle Turris. Yes. Uh, or from San Jose, Barclay Goudreau. Because apparently they're both. Apparently they're also interested in shoring up the center position in Toronto. That makes perfect sense. I mean, Kyle Turris is having a not good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying that 
he's having a not good year uh, when you put it in perspective is sort of like saying that the Red Wings are not going to eclipse their best season ever this year. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Barclay Goudreau is at 813 and 21 and a minus six for the Sharks. Kyle Turris, um, six sixteen and twenty two with a minus three for the Preds. Uh, you seem to be talking. Uh, we seem to have run across two Predators already this morning. Um, overall, though, I think I'm going to actually go with Kyle Turris. Um, I think that if he wakes up out of his season long slumber and turns back into the Kyle Turris who everybody talked about for years. He's a much better player. Maybe he just needs the cold weather to snap him back to uh, that 27-goal player he was in the 16-17 season. Um, So, yeah, Kyle Turris. Wrong. Kyle Turris is way too expensive, four years older, uh, and his contract is way too far out there. Uh, Barkley Goudreau is a solid two-way, and he plays all the forward positions. He's a solid young player. Uh, I I still think that uh, it, Kyle Turris, at his best, is still a better uh, defensive forward. But Kyle, than but Kyle Turris is at 30 years old now, whereas Barkley Goudreau is 26. Barkley Goudreau is... Under contract for another year at 925, so you're getting him under control for cheap money. Look at me actually thinking of thinking of Toronto as wanting to save money. You know what? Yeah, you're see, right. That's your mistake. You know what? You're right, Kyle Turris. It is. You know. <laughs> okay, third choice. We're gonna move south. We're staying on the East Coast, and I didn't do this on purpose. Yes, you did. Um, we know that uh, unfortunately. The, they're not doing the Dougie down there because Dougie's uh, done for a while. Uh, ugly, ugly incident breaking his breaking his leg or his ankle, his leg, I believe it was. Something so down they, there. It so was an LBI. Talk, so the L, the dreaded LBI, yes. Uh, so they need. There's talk of them looking at defensemen. Uh, so I picked two. Go for it. You can either have <clears throat> Matt Dumba or Shane Gostisbehere. Uh, and we're presumably adding these to the Carolina Hurricanes, correct? Correct. Because you didn't actually say. Oh, because I said Doug Hamilton. That's right. I didn't say Carolina. No, I said we were going to Carolina. Matt? Actually. No, you didn't. Uh, Matt Dumba and Gostisbehere. Matt Dumba or Shane Gostisbehere. That's interesting. Uh, both guys have had their injury uh, trials. Um, I think Gostas Bear is probably a year or two younger. He's 26. Um, four and a half a year versus Dumba. Who? Oh, Dumba. No, Dumba's actually a year younger. Um, right shot versus left shot. Dougie is, I believe, a right shot, um, and that's what they need. Um, I, I think I'm going towards the player that I like better, anyways, uh, as actually fitting the team need. Um, yeah, 
uh, Dumba, clear choice, um, better points, right, right shot, which is what's needed. No, wait a minute. Uh, 166 versus 199. Mm. Uh, no, it's not as clear cut as I was hoping. Um, uh, let's Mm-hmm. Eleven. Six, I'm not. Eight, I'm not. I'm. I. I have an idea of who I would choose. Um. And this was another assuming something I read. Abil- e- assuming equal ability, uh, I'm going with Dumba or equal availability. Rather, I'm going with Dumba for the right shot, which is what uh, Dougie Hamilton is, and um, that's that's the need. Uh. But neither one of them is particularly a bad choice. No, neither one of them. Neither one of them is as offensively uh, proficient as Dougie Hamilton is. And, and no, but I think that Dumba is be- slightly better defensively than Gostas Bear. Yeah, and I think that he has. Uh, uh, More I think that he's upside. a little bit stronger. In the mental game as well, uh, from what I read, apparently Shane Gostaspear flung his stick into the crowd the other night, uh, uh, and, and, it's and Philly. nobody knows why except for yeah, it's Philly. Uh, but I was I, Dumba is uh, the accurate choice here. Yes, like I make any other kind. Oh, whatever. Okay, so we're going to Vancouver. <clears throat> Finally, yep. going to the West Coast, Vancouver Canucks doing well uh the issue there is that they are almost even as far as goals for and goals against nothing nothing glaringly wrong one way or the other so i just decided that you have to add a little bit of offense or defense yeah so your choices are Tyler Toffoli or Alec okay. Martinez. You can choose either a forward or a defenseman. Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh-huh. Um, you already have Tanner Pearson in Vancouver, so there's going to be some familiarity with who you bring in. Assuming they end up playing on the same line, yes. Uh, Vancouver is 11th in the league in goals for mm-hmm. uh, per game. And in goals against, they're 14th. Um, I think I think I'm going to go with Alex Martinek because uh, if you can uh, if you can drop that uh, goals against going into going into the playoffs, which it it for sure looks like they're going to be. Um, I think that you're in. I think you're in better shape uh, to make it out of the first round. I would be inclined to agree. I, given the given the option, I would take the defender. Also, uh, I think that, first of all, Tyler the other thing is the other thing I think is that um, the Excuse top me. six for Vancouver in their forwards is reasonably thick. Um, I'm not certain. I'm less convinced on their defense, although their defense is doing better than I certainly expected. 
they're they're aggressively average as far as uh, as far as that goes. You've never been you've never been a fan favorite of of Vancouver's defense, and for good reason. <laughs> well, after Alexander Edler, there's I mean there's, there's, Ty- there's, there's Tyler Meyer. There's there's definitely their their defense is functional. It's the problem not, is their defense is old. Uh, yeah, it's they're they're a functional defense. They're not terrible. Um, we can make the argument uh, uh, all day about whether this one or the one they went to the Stanley Cup Finals against Boston with is better because I don't, and I think that's a conversation for another day. But uh, neither one of them is necessarily spectacular. I think going I think going into the playoffs and they clearly are hoping to make the playoffs unless they have a complete meltdown and I don't think they're going to. Uh I think they're expecting that they're going to make the playoffs. I think at that point you shore up the defense, bring in Alec Martinez. He's not the best stay-at-home defenseman. That being said, he has Stanley Cup experience. And he does have offensive punch. Yes. So I think you're doing, I think you're feeding both categories in that case by adding him. Yes. Okay. And this is the twist I was talking about as we come to number five and the last of the choices. <clears throat> Mark Bergevin up in Montreal. So we've decided to come back east again. Yeah. Mark Bergevin up in Montreal. And, and we all know that you think he's a, a genius for signing Ilya Kovalchuk for short money um well let's put it this way he's probably sold uh, enough uh in jerseys and kovalchuk memorabilia <laughs> to cover the cost of what he'll actually end up paying uh kovalchuk this year well here's the twist <clears throat> mark bergeron has been getting some pressure as the team has slowly slid into obscurity uh they are currently not in a playoff spot, nor are they currently even close to snipping a playoff spot. They are three places out of the second wild card spot. Uh, Go ahead. At about six points. So yep. the twist is you're being told or, or the expectation of your fan base is that you need to get rid of somebody. Your choices are to get rid of either Kerry Price or Shea Weber. Um, that's hilarious. Um, based on what I expect to see from the market, uh, in terms of availability of useful replacements, I'm moving carry price. I also think that you might get a better return on him than Shea Weber right now, which is. Shea Weber is I in think the conversation for a Norris are, trophy this year. Mm, we'll talk about that later. Um, we can certainly put that up as a conversation for next week, but um, I, I think I'm moving Kerry Price because I think with Braden Holtby, Robin Leonard, um, and three or four, um, three or four other quality goaltenders who are going to be who are likely to be free agents, I think that you can get a serviceable pair or a useful number one easier than you can get a number one defenseman in this year's, uh, free agent class. 
Assuming, of course, you don't bring back a number one for the trade. Uh, I would be inclined to agree as far as as moving Carey Price. I think that you can get a team. And again, I hate to bring up Carolina, but and and James Reimer is doing a fairly decent job down there. But I think New Jersey does take him. Does does Carey Price make Carolina that much better? I don't. Does he make New Jersey better? I don't think he makes them better enough that it's going to move the needle. And Um, I think that's part of the problem. I think New Jersey bringing in a carry price is (laughs) okay. Yeah. We're bringing in a named goaltender, but he's not doing anything for us. He's not We're not suddenly going to jump into a playoff spot. Um, no, but it gives you the freedom to look at all of the other issues and not have to think about, that position for a couple of years. Um, I think the one thing it does do is it depends on how Mackenzie Blackwood takes it. If he takes it as an affront that if, he's if not. Mackenzie Blackwood is overly concerned that someone found a better goaltender than him. Uh, he really, really needs to adjust his worldview as to his actual. How would Elvis field. feel if they brought? How would Elvis feel if Eunice comes back and Tortorella suddenly makes him the number one again after the season that Elvis has had? He's gonna be. He's gonna uh, take it as an surprised. affront. I don't know. I think he takes the difference between Eunice Corposalo and Carey Price. Carey Price has won Vesnas. I believe he won a Hart Trophy. He Eunice has won a Hart Trophy. Yeah. Eunice Corpusalo, not quite in that conversation. I think we can. I think we can safely say that not quite in that conversation. The, the main reason for moving Carey Price, however, is that at some point Caden Primo is most likely the heir apparent. I don't think it's. I don't think it's Lindgren. I don't think they have another goaltender in their system that's as good as Caden Primo. So uh, at some point, look their system. at some point, he's going to take over anyway, and that kind of money can you can turn around and take Carey Price money, and you can add a lot. You, you're going to have to eat some of the contract. I think you're going to eat like north of three of it a year, and that's right. But that's still saving you seven. Yeah, I mean okay. it's. Getting rid of him is going to be useful. And it's not like you don't have somebody who's going to be taking over anyway. He's just going to have to either sit behind Lindgren or another. Yeah, in the system right now, it's Lindgren, Keith Kincaid, uh, and Michael McNiven. Kincaid's still around, too. Michael McNiven and Caden Primo. But Keith Kincaid's been a starter. So even if you bring up Primo and back up use him as a backup to Kincaid. Uh, Kincaid may not be the best number one in the world, certainly not better than Carey Price, but he's serviceable. And yeah, I think that moving Carey Price is the better of the two. It's Shea Weber, captain of your team. Uh, like I said, this year having a resurgent year, whether you believe he's in the conversation or not, 
he's certainly having a, a a a resurgent, as I said, a resurgent year. It's a it's a discussion that can be had, but I think you move on, Carey Price. Okay, um, I uh, I think that's everything we have on the board. We covered um, we everything. And I didn't think we were Norris going to. Soon. <laughs> we did go a tiny bit over on time, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping our, some of our listeners will uh, forgive us. We'll shorten it up next week. Yep, next week we'll be back to talk about the Beanpot Final. Uh, we'll take a harder look at the trade deadline. Um, we will put a Twitter poll up uh, this week, I think. And, of course, your mailbag questions. Uh, as always, the options are message us on Facebook, um, comment on one of my uh, posts or Chris's uh, posts, uh, specifically asking for comments and mailbag and feedback stuff. You can tweet us. Uh, either one, we'll both talk about it. Emails to those two at twomanforcheck.com. Um, and, of course, you can post on the Two Man Forecheck website. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you hear we're going to be someplace and you're going to be in that place too, definitely send us a tweet. Uh, we can meet up and say hi for at least four or five minutes uh, and then uh, watch some hockey. Uh, have a great week and back soon. Oh, before I go, anyone in the Washington uh, area, I am going to be down uh, in your neck of the woods uh, this month. Um, I would love to know a good place to watch a hockey game uh, and have a drink or two. Have a great week.